0: Tisha and this is series three of the New Leaf podcast, created for new and working mums everywhere. New Leaf interviews working women from a variety of industries to share their journeys of what happened to them after having babies, exploring the often huge professional and personal identity shifts that happen when we create the next generation. Our jobs are a really big part of who we are and we don't stop being who we always were just because we've had a baby. There is such big pressure to be the perfect mummy when actually she doesn't exist and return to the perfect career when actually that doesn't really exist either. We are all muddling through and figuring it out. By sharing these amazing women's stories, I want to prove to you that motherhood is truly a rebirth in ways we never expect. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at newleafpodcast if you want to continue the conversation with the hashtag mymotherhoodmychoice. Before we get going though, I've got something special and free lined up for you. Click the episode details to subscribe to NewLeaf Nutshell, my exclusive fortnightly summary write-up of these episodes with judgment-free motherhood tips and tricks, general musings and interesting articles about all things women straight to your phone. Doing all the Googling so you don't have to. Okay, let's go. Claire Bourne is my guest on this week's episode of the New Leaf podcast. Claire is a pelvic health physiotherapist who's been practicing in this field for over 10 years. A mum of two herself, Claire has practiced on both sides of the fence, having kept her career consistent either side of having babies, something that I have to say is really unusual amongst my guests. I found Claire on social media where her reels about the general hilarity of motherhood, combined with incredibly educational reels and polls on all things pelvic floor, really impressed me. I don't think I'm alone in feeling like sometimes Instagram is home to a lot of, eh, rubbish, Um, (laughs) particularly, unfortunately, when it comes to motherhood. Claire couldn't be more different. The creativity and thought she puts into her account to make it as digestible and informative as possible really appeal to me. I've always made it a priority to give exceptional people in the postnatal health space a platform, so it wasn't exactly a hard choice to have Claire on. Claire was brave enough to share with me her incredibly challenging experience with hypothalamic amenorrhea, and I hope I'm saying that right a severe stress response that effectively results in your period shutting down. Claire faced a possible early menopause diagnosis at the age of just 24, when she was not only single, but also desperate for a family in her future. What happened next was an experience in A. Always having useful medical friends nearby and B. Listening to both your body and your gut. Claire went through a whole grieving process for the family she thought possibly wasn't to be, which I cannot even imagine going through, let alone at just 24 years old. Her story from there to two babies is a great one. Claire and I had the easiest conversation in the world, despite ancient laptops requiring us to record on our phones. Thanks to my amazing sound guy, Freddie, for helping out with this. She shares incredibly openly, and you will hear all of this honesty in the episode. She also talks, by the way, at a million miles a minute, but to me, that kind of reflected Claire's runaway train of success with an account that's absolutely exploded since loneliness and boredom that we all know of pandemic motherhood drove her to do something different. Get on the Claire train or it'll leave you behind. In a world with a lot of misinformation and myths when it comes to the postnatal experience and our physical recovery, we really need more people like Claire. She has a fab story. Introducing this speedy Gonzalez, Claire Bourne. Welcome, Claire Bourne. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you today okay so i will just describe how we know each other and again it's the wonderful world of the instagram (laughs) algorithm we just function in a lot of the same spaces i would say absolutely yeah definitely so what i ask all my guests is where are you in the world right now and what can you see in front of you i
1: am in london so i live in northwest london i'm born and bred londoner so i'm very passionate about it and right now i can literally just see out my window i'm on a residential street so
0: nothing exciting unfortunately that's as exciting (laughs) as it gets in london born and bred london as well i'm always very impressed with these people because i'm from birmingham but i lived in london for Ah. about eight years and all over london all different bits of london and just got too much for me eventually yeah you know what I totally get it and I do have these moments and then I go into
1: London and it's weird I know like people when they go into the city they feel really suffocated. I actually get the different experience like I just feel so free in the city like when I go mm-hmm. near the Thames or whatever it's just home for me. Interesting I lived in Birmingham for three years because I, I went to university there. Where Absolutely did, you, where loved did it. you live? Sally Oak? Oh, good old Selly Oak. Yeah. Tiverton Road. Love, it. <laughs> um, Love it. I lived in the city centre in my first year and then I moved to Selly Oak for, like every other student in Birmingham. But I loved it. And, you know, I really did consider staying, but, you know, London called me home and that's where I have stayed. But I think the reason I picked Birmingham is because it was still a big city and I felt at home in a big city. But then I remember meeting mates from the countryside trying to drive around like five ways roundabout in Birmingham, <laughs> right? And they were like, what is this? I'm used to country lanes. And I was like, my gosh, this roundabout is tiny. Like, yeah. This is nothing so it really opened my eyes to that change of experience how yeah how I guess you know city girl I was and still
0: am very much so that's so funny so I'm from Harbourn do you know Harbourn oh are you oh yeah. very well I know it really well yeah that oh lovely yeah Harbourn Brummy. <laughs> I'm so proud anyway Hi. I digress so tell me about your family unit who is in it
1: yeah so uh, we're a family of four so me and my husband, and we've got two kids, we've got a little girl and a little boy, five and two. We also live very close to our parents, so they're very much in and out of our lives. Oh, fantastic. Great that you've got grandparents around. Is that both sets? Yeah, I know. We're really, it's really unusual, and wow. they do help us with childcare. We view it as very much like both ends of the spectrum. Like They obviously help us a lot now with the kids, but we're really aware that as they age, they're also going to need support. Like Even both of my grandmothers were actually alive until the last couple of years and lived very close to us as well, mm. and so... We were able to help with their hospital appointments and I could support my parents looking after them when my parents were away. And we're aware that we will obviously hopefully repay them. I don't know if you ever repay your
0: parents, like ever. I don't think you do. I (laughs) I think you just pass it on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But hopefully we'll be able to support them in their older years if they're here for them, you know, in in the same way that they very much support us
0: now. I often think that. I just think, how can I ever pay back? Like, how? Financially, never. No, financially, Financially, Mainly financially, I just think, this is just blowing my mind. I just don't know how to pay back. So equally, like, now we're parents,
1: right? Like, for my kids, you know, you never want it back. You adore them so much, you would do anything for them.
0: And you'd sacrifice
1: anything for them. So I can totally understand that mentality now
0: how old
1: are your little ones so my daughter's five so she started school this year and then my son is two and a bit they're both january babies actually so almost like three years apart how are the
0: twos going second time around
1: i don't know i think with each stage of parenting i think i just have such a negative view of it in many ways like i think everyone just puts the fear of god in you but each stage i was oh my gosh i'm not gonna cope with the twos and i've never found it that bad like of course they have emotional regulation issues they're two-year-olds you know yes there are tantrums but i think what i've learned through most of parenting is it's actually how i regulate myself in those moments is the most important and how i'm looking after myself so i can deal with those moments so yes it's not on the child it's actually on me and most of the times things don't necessarily go so well it's because i'm stretched too, in tired directions or, or exactly. too tired yeah or have an air or trying to homework and but equally you know we do have support and I work part-time my husband works part-time so I think we share the load quite evenly I think a big thing that's really me and my parenting of the toddler has been sign language so I did baby sign with both of mine Mm -hmm. and I found that because they could sign the stress of not being able to communicate with me was removed five years down the line it's something I recommend to all my mum friends and I would do it over and over again it has absolutely transformed my experience personally with motherhood
0: Wow, that's like quite a testimonial because I do know a couple of people who did baby sign language.
1: They don't just pick it up overnight, something you consistently do. And I think it's funny, a second time around was easier because then the older one was really into it as well.
0: But yeah, for us as a family,
1: it's really worked. Mm. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's so good. So tell me what you did
1: pre-babies. I've been a physiotherapist now for over a decade so 21 yeah left Birmingham with my little hat and moved back to London and as a physiotherapist you just take any job essentially. I'll give more context to that comment but you just become a junior physio and you rotate and do lots of different things so you want to get experience in all the areas of physiotherapy before you decide what you want to specialise in. The reason I say you take whatever you can get, because especially over a decade ago when I was graduating, the competition for jobs was ridiculous. There just were not enough jobs for us. Mm. So, I mean, you literally applied for anything and if someone offered it, you took it. (laughs) There was no like, do I really want to work there? It was like, you're going to work there because you've got the job. My first ever job happened to be in pelvic health. My initial response was, oh no, because I had no idea about pelvic health. We didn't get taught any of it at university. In our third year, there was an optional module. It was called Women's Health at the time. We've now branched out because we now also treat men and children. So it's become pelvic health. But there was this, yeah, Women's Health option. And yeah, I mean, I just wasn't interested in it. I didn't even have a clue what that was. There was not a single lecture on the pelvic
0: floor euphemistic though isn't it it's like women's health like yeah. women's issues or women's troubles you know yes. when people are just talking about period pains oh she's having this women's
1: issue. issues
0: totally. <laughs> totally and look as a 20
1: year old i just was like it literally meant nothing to me i think literally a couple of people maybe had chose that but it wasn't for me at this point in my career i was like i'm off to be a rugby physio i loved rugby i thought i will got to go till I'm to London do my juniors and then i'll work out how i'm gonna get into sport but anyway i was like so pelvic health okay i'll give it my best show. Don't know anything about it. But I fell in love with it. And I did it for like eight, nine months. And normally as a junior, you only do things for three to six months. And then had, was in the NHS as a team lead for a bit. And then went private and then fell pregnant. And yeah, I guess the rest is history. I've stayed in public health ever since. And that will be it now, really.
0: And this is what really fascinates me about your story in particular, Claire, because a lot of the people that I interview did one thing and then they had babies. And then that massively changed for whatever reason, because of the hours or because the priorities change or something in their birth ended up changing what they wanted to do, et cetera, et cetera, or just something about having children. But with you, you have always done pelvic health. So what I was really interested to find out is how has that got you to where you are now? And how has your practice changed pre and post-babies?
1: great question so I guess leaving the NHS was a big step and that was just pre-children it wasn't necessarily because of children but I, I think I knew that children was hopefully on the cards for us and I found working in the NHS particularly stressful at that point I'd had quite a few years of challenges with my hormone levels I had something called hypothalamic amenorrhea which is where your periods stop and it's essentially a, a stress response So I think there have been a number of things that happened over those years that had been quite stressful in my life. And my body had responded by basically shutting down hormonally. I had no estrogen levels on blood tests. probably wasn't ovulating. I had to go on HRT like a menopausal woman would. And there was a lot of challenges during that time. Oh, my God. yeah. Yeah, it was pretty mad. But overall we just decided that me leaving the NHS was the right thing at that point and I'd moved into private practice. So I guess once you make that step things change because private practice overall is more flexible and I think for me becoming a mum was a huge thing. I really wanted to become a mum. I was one of those girls growing up that I was just a very mumsy person. I was like the mum at uni, like I was the person everyone came to. (laughs) After everyone on the night out, that was who I was. So I just am a maternal person. Obviously, when I had all these hormonal issues, there was a few questions as to how easy that would be for us. And I knew the biggest thing is I had to reduce my stress. And so a big part of that was making work life a bit more calm. And I guess through that step, what it has meant going forward into motherhood is I could do the same job, but with more flexibility. So between my kids, I was working for a company two days a week. Then obviously pandemic hit just after I had my second. That's when I started sharing more on social media, more because I was so lonely at home. I, You know, I had two young kids at home. My husband was a GP. He was out what felt like all hours of the day, as most doctors were during the pandemic. And I just, I'm such an extrovert. I was missing like that kind of buzz that I get with other mums and I was like I'm just going to start sharing on social media and it's pivoted into this community of mums and I guess through that growing following it became apparent that I could essentially work for myself because women were coming through asking for appointments and so it was at that point I decided to just go it alone and I'm loving my career you know it's become really varied I love education and I think it's the beauty of me working for myself is it's reminded me I love a variety of things I love mm. being in clinic absolutely but the days of me doing five days a week full clinic are, are long gone for me now and I get the privilege of doing like today I've done I've filmed something for someone I've done some writing I've been on a home visit I'm obviously chatting to you if I'm going to be working away from my kids how I feel is it really needs to be very nurturing as well as what I can give out and so it's exciting but also quite scary at times
0: yeah I can imagine and look so much to unpick from what you've just said but (laughs) just rewinding back to this so you called it hypothalamic amenorrhea is that right yeah hypothalamic amenorrhea hypothalamic right okay (laughs) get the pronunciation right hypothalamic so obviously to do with your hormones but if you don't mind me asking what was putting you through that stress at that time and that must have had a huge impact on your life. I mean
1: it's a funny one because it was a really gradual thing. I think there'd been a breakdown of a previous relationship, my uncle was unwell, sadly dying of cancer. i sorry. I think yeah I think it was like a mixture. My job had become very stressful, so I'd taken on a leadership role. Then team members left, and then we got someone else, and there was a lot going on at work at that time. I don't think I necessarily ever really understood work-life balance at that point. I think that's mm. something I've, I'm not sure I'm still great at it now. But I think I don't think I've ever necessarily known very well how to relax. It's something I've hugely worked on in the last well decade, I guess. But I wasn't very good at that. So I think, if I'm honest my body just went into sort of burnout. I'd also travelled, and I think sometimes, you know, travelling just makes your body go a bit wacko anyway. And I honestly, it was just the accumulation of things. And I think the problem, once your body's in this stress state, then you're stressed about being in a stress state, and then you're stressed because you've got no hormones. And then being on HRT as a 24-year-old also doesn't feel that great. I had quite a lot of side effects.
0: But this is like bananas. As an HRT at 24, yeah. this, this is like a very big deal. You must yeah, have, yeah. I mean... I can't even imagine going yeah. through that at that I age mean, and also how do you explain yeah. it to people that's the other thing
1: yeah to be honest, I didn't really I didn't talk about it a lot with people I think we know now so much more like, there was so much conversation about periods and what's normal and what's not and I'd never been like the most regular girl so I'd mm. sometimes miss them and be like oh no biggie it just wasn't I don't know it just wasn't completely wacky for my body but then I was like this is definitely different so I'd gone to the GP I'd done a blood test and then had a follow-up and they were basically like oh you could be in premature menopause and I was like what I'm 24 are you joking I want to have a family anyway the team that I was working obviously I worked in women's health they were amazing and they actually looked after me so I talked about it at work quite openly and it wasn't that I was ashamed of it I wouldn't talk about it but I don't know I don't think it came up in a lot of conversations but my close network knew
0: yeah. And for somebody who, in your own words, was really maternal person to yeah. have been told, oh, you might be, like, in yeah. premature menopause, which yeah. will uh, irreversibly change the entire course of it's your like life. life. Yeah. yeah. like no, I, I, I mean, that must have been out. devastating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, I
1: literally went into a grief response. I was a single 24-year-old. i just moved out. i just moved into London with some mates. But yeah, I was devastated. It, it really knocked me out. I was like, how do I date someone? we then established yeah. i wasn't in early menopause and so they were like you know the chance of you having a family are very much still there we just obviously don't know how easy it will be because if you're not actually ovulating yourself obviously that's a big problem how did they figure that out that you weren't uh, actually it was very clear from my blood results right. hormones are very complicated it's not just like a, your eastern low it's about all the other hormones and their relationship so thankfully i have a number of medical friends who when that i i, I questioned whether this was the right thing, I asked for a printout and I took it home and I, I basically called a couple of mates being like, "Can you help me understand these and they're like, "I think it's really unlikely because of this and this you know it's all about relationship with hormones as well about certain things being low, certain things being high, so we'd pretty much established that wasn't the case and then I went under a hormonal specialist team who were like, no it's not menopause it's just this condition let's help manage your hormones until they hopefully kick back in but equally I've actually known my husband for over 20 years, but we haven't been together for that long. So we sort of re-met, put it that way and obviously I had to navigate the conversation of this is what's going on thankfully he was a very good friend of mine so I felt very safe and open and he's also a doctor so he understood the background of it oh thank god (laughs) that's really helpful really helpful (laughs) we had to obviously go through the process to accept that our story to parenthood may not be as simple as everyone
0: hopes it will be that is a big conversation to be having that's a conversation yeah Yeah.
1: And, and you know the medical team we decided that we wanted to wait to have kids until we were married so we were getting married anyway. They're like, you know, once you're married, you probably want to think about starting to try to see. I was 27 at this point. It's not like I was in my late 30s or anything. Mm. But they were like, you know, if you're wanting to have kids, the journey may think not be that easy. It. And mm. I'd had a blood test literally before we got married that was like undetectable. Oestrogen. So like I knew my oestrogen levels Gosh. were still low. But I fell pregnant on our honeymoon. And the rest is history. So from a biology perspective, it doesn't really make sense. But I think in a funny way, I had so reserved myself to the fact that it just may not happen. We talked about adoption. There were so many things we were like, it's fine. We believe we can be parents in many different formats. Mm. So we're in this together. It's about us as a couple, and we will work out that bit as a step as and when we need to. They so, talk
0: about the grief responses, don't they? And it's like yes. denial, yes. anger, and then the final yes. stage is acceptance. So yeah. perhaps you had, I had just accepted. I had
1: literally just got to that point. I mean, look, it'd been like four to five years by this point of living like this. And I was just like, I've got to accept it. This is my reality, and I'm doing everything I can to change it. But. You know, I totally believe in life. There are
0: just some things that we can't do anything about. We just have to live our lives and see what happens. I always find it fascinating seeing how people actually go about starting their families yeah. because when we first talked on the phone, I've talked a lot about this to my followers that I felt like I was coming to motherhood quite late because my mum had all her babies by the time she was 30. Yeah. I had my first at 29, and you were even earlier than that. And I now yeah. feel like quite a young mum, even though I'm not, <laughs> but I do. I know. Because relative yeah. to my peer yeah. group, everyone's having children so much later. Yes. So for you to get pregnant on your honeymoon, that's yeah. early on, right at the beginning of your yeah. marriage life.
1: I think people thought we were like teenagers who didn't know how to get pregnant. You know, people were like, was that expected? And we were like, we made children. <laughs> so it was expected. But and he, because we hadn't told everyone the backstory, people were just like, oh, whoops. So we were like, no, this is insanely amazing. Like, yeah, I'm like very wanted very yeah. wanted so it wasn't necessarily what our plan was but equally we had really got to the point where we were like there isn't a plan you know the plan is there is no plan mm. <laughs> and if we're given a child we'll go with it and mm. I think we've had to learn to navigate relationship and marriage as parents yeah. which obviously other lots of our other mates have been married for five to six years or maybe they've been together for over a decade and then they have children and that's a whole different ball game mm. so I guess we've had to learn to grow together as parents and navigate marriage and I don't think we've always got the balance right but I'm not sure anyone does, does anyone yeah exactly and I think we're just always learning how to look out for each other and be a couple as well as be parents and that's much harder in the newborn younger years isn't it we did the second child in a pandemic and I, I you know I hadn't really realized how different our experience had been until I spoke to some friends recently who were like yeah doesn't this weather just remind you of lockdown when we were all like chilling in the garden <laughs> having a few beers and I was like yeah no I really was not no. chilling
0: in the garden I was like in the thick of it with a newborn and a toddler and going and, from know, one to two is a transition in itself what I wanted to ask is taking you back then to the context of what you were already doing how was your pregnancy and how was your birth
1: yeah i mean i think a pretty classic pregnancy i hadn't really understood the whole day nausea thing and i never was sick but i just felt like horrendous all day mm. and obviously when you're in a people-facing job there isn't like cheeking a sneaky ginger nut at your desk it's like you're talking <laughs> to people all day so you know what i would do is i had a gap in my diary i'd lie on the bed in my room set an alarm for 20 minutes have a brief lie down shove in another piece of bread and carry on but it was hardcore like i found that really hard Mentally and emotionally, I found it hard. Obviously, doing my job where you just see complications, which is often related to birth, I I didn't really realise how much it was impacting me until I started having like anxiety dreams. I was like dreaming about birth a lot and having a lot of anxiety about it. Amazingly, I knew the mental health midwife at my hospital, and I messaged her being like, I don't think I'm coping as well as I thought I was coping, and she was amazing and really just supported me through, got me in with a consultant midwife because at that point I was like, I think I'm just going to go for a cesarean because just seems easier for me but yeah in the end i did go for a vagina delivery after just really working through what my fears were and what i was worried about and on paper I had a very uncomplicated delivery it was very quick i was in the birth center i did have a longer second
0: stage like the pushing vase which i don't think helped my pelvic floor it's really interesting what you said about consultant midwife because i had similar but also different scenario with my second where it was experiencing a lot of anxiety and the consultant midwives are just brilliant Oh, they absolutely amazing. amazing really unknown i'm like look i don't know how it works across all of the uk
1: i mean i know obviously london quite well but they it's such an under under known about resource these midwives are there to support women like us who are particularly struggling it's acknowledged that we don't all feel the same about birth our journeys to birth are not the same and i often recommend my ladies please try and seek that support because you need that space and that time to explore these conversations and you do yeah. you can't always do that in a routine appointment right so you know it transformed my experience it completely changed my mind being heard you know there was no like trying to force me to be or do something i didn't want to do it was like if you really want to say we're here for you but is that honestly what you want or are you just making that decision completely out of fear and it was it was completely out of fear they're like let's talk this all through and if that's still your decision we'll get you a date but in the end actually exploring it all they're like it doesn't necessarily sound it's really what you want it just feels like you feel like you have no choice and that's the whole thing about birth isn't it? it's having choice how did you get around that anxiety then i did hypnobirthing that was really helpful ah, okay um, amazing really amazing and i think just actually being honest about it and saying i'm struggling talking about it also hearing statistics that weren't just the complications you know actually generally i'm seeing about five to ten percent of the population remembering there's also 90 percent of the population <laughs> that aren't in pelvic floor physiotherapy you know what i mean is the complications are a small percentage but that's all i see so in my world they're 100 percent. but actually in the statistics of the uk they're Really, not 100%. So, not saying that all of women are not impacted by birth in some way, because I do believe that birth and pregnancy impacts our body, obviously. But, Mm. you know, the more severe cases, the more complicated um, were all I ever saw. So, yeah, I think just that emotional and mental support made a huge difference. Mm. Yeah. Massive difference. And
0: so, how was the actual birth then as a result?
1: i was at home for a lot of it i think now in hindsight and now i've given birth twice i think i probably would have given birth at home had i known a bit more about how i birth because both of my labors have been actually very fast and very intense and you know you start seeing patterns don't you and actually when i got into hospital i was like really wanting to push straight away and they were like no it's too early and i was like but you know i think you know I your body to. so i found transition into hospital hard i think all women do like laboring in a car is not the one right. um <laughs> but has to be done but overall you know I, i'd still view it as a positive experience I do think there were moments where I wasn't listened or heard to now in hindsight again now I've done it a second time and had a very positive experience and those challenges
0: is there anything in particular that stood out to you basically i think what happened is i got stressed
1: you know the feeling of a baby being born is intense and when you've never felt that before it's a scary experience i found it scary obviously my brain then went into work mode i was like oh my gosh i'm ripping in half and then i think i got scared adrenaline rushed through my system my body was like oh no so then it was just me and my husband in the room everyone else left we got back into our very calm zen space but that was pretty stressful but equally at the time you're so in this weird time warp you know it was two hours i didn't have a clue it was two hours i thought it'd been like 20 minutes as did my husband I'm a bit of a bleeder as we've now learned again having done it again so initially I was like there is a lot of blood here and obviously my husband medical, was like oh my gosh like she's gonna die you know you just course, very hard yeah. to stay objective about yourself as again I've had two now I totally understand like some babies feeding is simple and some babies it is really not simple and you know you can be a pro feeder with one and the other one you're like can I give up everything is different it's not about you and your skill set it is about baby and you and compatibility and tongue ties and feeding issues. you know it's so flipping complex and I think if I could say to women one thing it's it's so not just about you it's about yeah. whole everything
0: isn't it and yeah, you're um, two yeah. individuals from birth and even in pregnancy you know your genetic compatibility yeah. that's why every pregnancy feels so different as well it's and really. often people put it down to oh it's because it's a girl not a boy or yeah. whatever and I remember thinking my second i was like convinced it was going to be a girl because i was like this oh, pregnancy is so different it yeah, must be yeah. and then they were like nope another boy i was like oh god <laughs> shit <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just funny because there are just so many myths that get bandied around yeah. aren't there and oh, actually gosh. it's just Man, like stop. well it's a different little person yes. every time 100 it's crazy so birth relatively straightforward but yeah. like a few lessons how long did yeah. you take away from work I took a full year
1: I lapped up that maternity leave yeah I really didn't think about work at all at that point to be honest with you I just loved all the baby groups loved making new friends loved being out yeah it was great I genuinely loved that year actually my husband was working locuming at that point so we had quite a lot of flexibility and on some holidays yeah it was lovely really really lovely and obviously navigated going back to work went two days a week and uh, went back like a yeah almost like exactly
0: a year later so, and what was that there. navigation like? Were you, given that you had yeah. such a blissful maternity leave, were you yeah. like, oh God, I don't want to go back?
1: Or what was that yeah, like? Yeah, I was really unsure. I was really unsure, but I love what I do. And it's always that being torn. And I was like, I know I can do it two days a week. So, I was like, why wouldn't I take the opportunity to keep. My career going if I can, you know. My husband was really supportive. I genuinely think if we can cling on for the next sort of five years, getting through babyhood, then you won't regret it. And you know, again, we've got families. So actually, what we were able to do is one set of parents had her one day, and one set of parents had her another day, and that's what covered my two days of work. Um, Oh, amazing! You know, when you're leaving them with grandparents, I know it's much easier. I've never had to do that. Like the nursery drop off with screaming, it doesn't mean it's always been easy. Don't get me wrong, but it's a much easier transition. But yeah, I'd always imagined myself being a full time mum. Really, growing up, I'd never. really imagined being a working mum partly that's because yeah I think partly because that was my experience back when we were growing up flexibility of work was nothing that it is compared to now you know my dad and my father-in-law were working hardcore in the city long hours that's what they did and it's not that my mum wouldn't have loved to work she would have loved to work but it just wasn't an option around kids but I I think when we spoke before I was saying you know how yeah you know both the mums hadn't worked my aunts hadn't gone back to work my sister-in-law didn't go back to work And so I was like the first person going, trying to navigate. I didn't really have someone. I was the first of a lot of my friends. But yeah, it was just a brand new experience that I think our generation is hugely having to navigate in a very different way to the generations before. I still, when I leave in the morning, I have this slight guilt or something that I'm like, oh, Mm. I I find it hard to leave Equally, once I've left, I really enjoy it. But I still mm. feel this deep tie to home. I mean, I think all mothers do, right? Your heart's with your children, where they're at, you're at. There's
0: no point there where I'm like, I've got this down. Because <laughs> I, yeah.
1: I just don't.
0: <laughs> And was your husband working part-time before you had kids or was that a decision that No, you that's actually made just,
1: that's just recently mm-hmm. since, well, in the last year since I went back to work a second time. I mean, obviously there was COVID, so, you know, we were a very high-risk family for COVID, having a medical professional in it. We were obviously trying to protect our parents. So actually when I went back to work, we were managing to work, me two days a week and him four days a week, but without any childcare. So he, I was working in the day, he was then going to work in the evening and... We had a very antisocial life for about a year mm-hmm. to make sure that we could keep working, and it was hardcore. <laughs> and we've now moved into this more balanced picture. But you just have to do sometimes
0: what you've got to do, right? There's just that's life. And that brings us on right to a second baby. Your son is two in a bit, so we're yeah. talking like peak pandemic so yes, what was, was that like having your <laughs> second baby in covid times versus well, I mean, not covid was, times yeah I mean very different
1: he was like eight weeks when things were starting to kick off really but it's such a weird time isn't it because you, you do the first eight weeks when you're basically pretty much at home and just as life was for me about to open up again we obviously went into lockdown I'm not gonna lie I think that was the most hardest experience I think I've potentially ever gone through for me, the isolation, the loneliness of having no other adult around, not at all about the kids. It was more the loneliness. Like, obviously, parenting a baby and a toddler is never easy on your own at many times. But it was more the loneliness and the isolation that I found the hardest. Yeah. After having such a blissful first Love maternity, leave, you must have just <laughs> so been different. like, "What the fuck is this?" It was a complete black and white chalk and cheese situation. Also, remember back then, all you could hear on the news was like, "This doctor's died. This doctor's died. This doctor's died." You know, my husband was so treating scary. people. There was no PPE. You know, and I was there like am I going to be a single parent we just knew nothing like we know now and we didn't really know how it impacted children I had an unvaccinated newborn you know and he was we were like will he need to stay somewhere else you know at this point the doctors were being called back into the hospital it was
0: a crazy time and there was no vaccine there was not even no, you know nothing. people were working on it yeah. but it was months away yeah. even and people didn't even away. know if it was possible I think it's so easy. I don't know if you feel the same, Claire, I've Recently, you always get fooled into thinking, oh, what the hell are we all worried about? You know, yeah. like you just think, <laughs> I can't believe the whole world shut down just because of COVID. And then you're like, yeah. wait, no, 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 no. Remember Completely. how bad it was. And then you're like, oh yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: So that's the thing. Like when you go back to that point and you know
1: what it's like when you're not sleeping. Yeah. I was at home. I was trying to find it like a just routine. Spiral. Yeah. yeah, it was intense. But I think we realised a weekend, it was, and this was not going away and so we sat down we're like right you just need to get a routine we got up got ready we went out for a walk we came back we did a bit of TV we did an activity we had rest time and we just went through that for weeks and my parents were amazing they'd often come on zoom when I was getting really tired about about three or four o'clock they'd read books to my daughter on zoom so I could That's I don't sweet. know just have a bit of quiet time honestly I think I made friends with a DPD guy I just literally talked to anyone <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh hi I think he was like this woman is crazy but I just needed some social interaction but I don't think I really felt how much that had impacted me actually until this year and earlier Earlier this year I hit a bit of a wall where I was like that was hard and I think again a lot of grief and I've spoken to a number of mums who are in the same situation as me and I won't be dissimilar I'm sure for you but the loss of
0: a lot of babies first, and a lot mm. of my family has still not met him you're balancing the needs of your first as Completely, well yeah. and even with a second out of lockdown because he's about 10 months now we've got family members that have been like we haven't seen you then it's like you know what i'm just survival. trying to keep going right now yeah. so like, you will see us soon but I, <laughs> i'm just trying to survive
1: <laughs> yeah 100 i think survival mode is literally all i have felt that i was in and i think this year i've now had to accept that there's a lot that i need to unpick you know equally a grandmother that um passed away that I was really close to passed away in the april of the first lockdown so my parents told me mm-hmm. on my driveway they couldn't touch me we had a funeral where no one could sit next to each other we couldn't even well we didn't even have a funeral it was like at the crematorium with four of us you know there was a lot of losses that the, all of us so felt awful. that i think a lot of us just didn't have any time to process because there was just the constant survival mode, I think, as well. Like, my husband made an interesting point. He's as mothers, you've essentially done whatever you needed to do to get the kids through often at the sacrifice of yourselves and your own emotional well-being often physical well-being or whatever and I think a
0: lot of us are now like right we've
1: got through the storm
0: (laughs) yeah it's like you've just been having your head like straight down and then suddenly you're just like looking up at the sky and being like oh there's this whole world that I forgot about and you said like at the detriment of your emotional well-being physical well-being and also things like career well-being with homeschooling and not being able to invest as much in that part of yourself which is such an integral part of your identity so how did it affect your journey back to work then with your second with covid etc I decided obviously to leave the clinic because I just needed
1: maximal flexibility as we were doing this kind of weird working where basically having to work differently around what my husband was able to do and all that sort of stuff so that's when obviously I went completely self-employed set up my own business Mm -hmm. meant that I shared a lot more on Instagram which meant that I had much more connection with women I think it's allowed me to raise the profile of pelvic health in a way that I don't think it was I think because the services really dropped down women went online to find more information so do you know what I mean I think Covid did a lot for women's health in a funny way because it made us be like well I haven't got any help so I'm going to have to find it myself and so people did and Instagram was a huge part of that
0: And this is what I'd really like to know more about The Instagram presence that you have now is obviously huge, and the Reels—I mean, lots of people do funny stuff on Instagram, but stuff that's genuinely educational is quite hard to come by. And I think you strike the balance really well. And where did this like all start? Why did you start doing this, and how did it evolve? And it must be so time-consuming, by the way. I can't get over how time-consuming social media is.
1: Yeah, it is time-consuming. I mean, when it started Reels, when I started sharing stuff, Reels wasn't even a thing. So I was just sharing static posts about essentially anything i was reflecting on myself or just random topics and then obviously i realized there was a hunger for it women were interested women wanted it and so i just continued i think moving on to the reels obviously reels became a thing on instagram i guess in in the lockdowns as well and so i thought all right i'll give it a go and i think there's a huge creative in me. I mean, I spent a lot of my childhood performing from quite a musical family and quite musical myself. I did quite a lot of acting as well. And I think in a funny way, I don't do a lot of that in my life at the minute. You know, I don't have a lot of time to perform in other ways. So I think in a funny way, Reels became my creative outlet. And I <laughs> just it. genuinely love it. Like, I just find it fun. It doesn't feel like work for me. Sometimes your brain works in a certain way and I might hear something and I'm suddenly like, oh, that would work perfectly for something about the pelvic floor and so i just create it in a funny way i people th- i think it looks like it probably takes me longer than it does but often i just come up with an idea do one or two takes of it and i already know what i want to say about it because it's a topic i discuss a lot and and out it goes so don't get me wrong i do commit time to it i view it as a very important part of my career not from a business mm-hmm. perspective necessarily though it obviously does have benefits but from a just passionate and educational perspective i think we have got to get this information out we've got to make it relevant we've got to bring it into the 21st century we need to connect with women we you can go on and on about the fact that women don't know about it, but the fact is, if we're not there telling them in a manageable and digestible way, then we can't so expect them to come to us. Exactly. And so yeah. that's, I guess, what I've just tried to do is make it relevant, make it bite-sized, make it applicable. And there's loads of other amazing people doing a very similar thing. It yeah. shows you're onto something. I think people think, oh gosh, why do you bother it? And like because I enjoy it, and I think that probably comes through. I just. It, yeah, I mean, it does. It, it's me I, i'm having fun that's who i would be if you met me i'm being a bit silly that's what i'm like and i get amazing messages from women being like oh i wasn't going to do anything and then because of you i've gone to my gp i'm now getting help and while those messages keep coming through i will keep being a bit silly and
0: a real so a ton of super positive things about social media but I always yeah. like to ask people that have this Instagram presence because I have a bit of a love hate with Instagram sometimes yeah. and obviously I spend a lot of time on it and yeah. it's the way that I keep up with a lot of stuff that's going on in the motherhood yeah. community etc but for you personally with what you do are there challenges that pop up that you think oh this is actually really hard or oh this yeah. is the downside of social media or do you just think it's all sunshine?
1: No definitely not. I don't think it ever could be. I just think it's, I've had to learn how to have boundaries with it. So, generally, now I will not post over a weekend. I take those breaks. If I'm finding it a bit overwhelming, I just have a break. It's a choice. You know, yeah. And I think with all of these yeah. things, it's a choice. I choose to be there. I can equally choose not to be there. And if the last few weeks of me have been a bit bonkers, and I just, I've just. Taking a step back, it doesn't mean I've not been there at all, but I haven't been putting out reels. I just haven't had the time and there's been school holidays and I took a week off to do our childcare and you have to ebb and flow with it. And I think if you don't feel you can, and that's for me in the past, been an issue and I felt, oh, but I can't take that time off because if I don't do this, I'm not going to hit this algorithm and that algorithm. And I'm like, I'm not going to be a slave to it. That may mean that some of my posts don't do so well. That's okay. It's all about our self-worth, isn't it? And stuff like that. I'm not saying it's never Mm -hmm. impacted me. It has, but I think I very much try and keep a balanced relationship with it. And I think I've heard someone say before, it's about keeping about your core values like why are you there what's the point of it and actually if I'm sticking to those things and I'm making sure I'm having fun then generally I have a very positive relationship with it Um, and if I feel that's becoming unbalanced then that's when I just take a little step away I log out for a weekend take a week off whatever it is but Mm. yeah I think it's a fascinating world that I think we'll keep learning about I love Instagram I feel there's much more of a community and um yeah love it there and while I
0: like it there i will stay (laughs) and obviously posting about things that are as personal Mm. and impactful as pelvic health do you ever experience kind of backlash or women saying you know this isn't my experience or you should be doing more of this or you shouldn't be doing more of that or are people on the whole very supportive do you know what, generally i haven't always got it right and
1: women have sometimes fed back but i've actually had everyone be incredibly respectful like i'm sure this is not how you intended it that's just how it's made me feel and then sometimes i can reflect and say oh gosh i can see how i've you know i've reworded mm. that badly let me reword it thank you for your feedback and sometimes i think actually i'm happy with how i've expressed it i may have triggered something in someone else and that is also okay like i'm not responsible for everyone's
0: emotions that's also but, on them yeah, yeah exactly well. and so yeah. i
1: think but i think every i'm always welcome to feedback i'm very open i'm still learning as clear i won't get it all right i haven't had the experience that a lot of had about you know like trolling equally though i don't yeah. share a lot about my own motherhood journey i share bits and pieces but i'm not as open i guess about motherhood life as other people are which i think sometimes people get very opinionated about like how you're parenting your child and what you're doing and yep.
0: I'm, I'm much more protective of that just for various reasons And so I think that is when a lot of backlash happens. So obviously you've ended up remaining in pelvic health and it's something that you're clearly super passionate about. When you think about 10 years down the line, where do you see the practice going? Where would you be if you could wave a magic wand? Wow,
1: great question. I've always said like the kids are my priority. So whatever I'm doing is about them first. So if I can work more, if they're both at school and I can work a bit every day, great. If we can continue to be a bit flexi-parenting, great. I think I will continue staying in London. I want to set up a little bit more locally. We may at some point get a clinic space more like northwest, more suburban. So there's definitely lots of plans. and There's some other bits that will be coming out this year that I'll be talking about more once I'm able to talk about them. So I think my career will continue to evolve. I'd love to do a bit more maybe lecturing, teaching, but all around the family unit being the centre and the priority, obviously, and then having the flexibility to do stuff around that.
0: Anybody who's listening who doesn't know who Claire is or has experienced birth injury, prolapse, anything in the pelvic health space, I really encourage you check Claire's page out because I've learned stuff. I had two caesareans and I've still learned an absolute ton from her page. And just because you had C-sections does not mean that your pelvic floor is not affected as I have learned. So definitely check her out. And I just want to say a huge thank you. I really appreciate your time oh thank you so much for
1: having me i've absolutely loved this chat it's been so nice
0: oh good stuff well enjoy the rest of your day you too take care well you made it to the end enjoyed it let me know on instagram or twitter or better yet drop me a rating on itunes have a lovely day and if you are a parent have an even better night bye everybody